Hey everybody, you're listening to the UNC College of Music In Context podcast, the show where everyone's eating their Dippin' Dots at least six feet apart. I am half of your host experience, Hayden Drew. I am, of course, joined by the other half of our host experience, Miss Hannah Brayfield. It's me, hello! And with us today is one very special guest. We have a man who surely needs no introduction, the wonderful Dr. Taylor. Hi, Dr. Taylor. Hello, I'm honored to be here. I'm so glad you all are doing this. Aw, thanks. Well, how are you doing today? Oh, it's a great day. It's beautiful outside. I finished a great book, and uh, yeah, I'm just energized. What book did you finish, by the way? I finished a book I've been meaning to read for a long time. It's called The Coding Manual for Qualitative Researchers by Johnny Saldana. It sounds like light reading. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I can't say it's light reading. (laughs) That'll have to come later tonight. (laughs) But uh, that sounds incredibly interesting, actually. Oh, I bet you'd love it. Yeah, just from, (laughs) you know, what I know of your intellectual interest and all that sort of thing. That'd be great. (laughs) Listeners, I'm a big old nerd, and Dr. Taylor knows this about me. Um, (laughs) And now you know. Uh, (laughs) Actually, that segues really well into our first topic. We were going to talk about your career journey, uh, which I'm sure you're still on based off of your casual reading uh, during quarantine. (laughs) Um, So I guess I would really like to start just with how you knew you wanted to do music ed in the first place. What got you interested in music? Oh, gosh. Well, I remember even as a child just loving music. My parents talked about how, you know, from infancy, I would dance to music and get all excited. And um, I guess the (laughs) uh, long story short, or try and make it a little bit shorter, is that I grew up in a small town, Stephenville, Texas. And uh, when I was in second grade, I started playing piano. By the time I graduated high school, I was studying four instruments, if you will, each with equal rigor. Uh, So the piano, voice, I was really into singing. Um, uh, oboe and saxophone. Wow. So, and all the way through my schooling, whenever I would have a band director or choir director, I would think, oh, that's what I want to do. That's exactly who I want to be. You know, in each level going up, it was like, okay, I want to teach beginning band. Well, now I want to teach middle school choir, you know. <laughs> that's, anyway, by the time I graduated, I had had a lot of success as a singer. Um, well, Fortunately, I'd had some some successes in all the instruments, but um, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I was also really interested in performing, and um, but then it was like, where am I going to? I've, I've got to narrow this down, right? Uh, so I finally decided I would get a degree in music education, and I would study singing with the hopes of maybe becoming an opera singer if that would pan out. And I, at the same time, for some reason, at the end of my senior year, I guess because I had a really wonderful piano teacher, I was practicing the piano four hours a day just because I loved it and was oh wow. a really cool <laughs> repertoire. Yeah, it was kind of wild. But um, so when I started college, uh, unlike a lot of you folks who came to UNT who knew exactly what you were doing to uh, audition, I was pretty clueless about the whole audition process and what to do. Um, so I was really lucky. I ended up uh, moving to San Antonio with my parents uh, right before college started, and I started at UTSA. Had some wonderful teachers there. I started out as a music education major with a double major in piano performance, and then I was also playing piano a lot. 
I was taking piano lessons. So I was very busy. <laughs> um, just a little. <laughs> just a little. But along the way, uh, my voice teacher and piano teacher collaborated, and they said, basically, you know, hey, you're, you have more potential as a pianist than you do as a vocalist. And I tend to have a pretty um, soft-spoken personality, and I think they were afraid that I would get eaten alive in the classroom. Uh, so they kind of discouraged me from going into teaching at the public school level. but And then they replaced this dream of being an opera singer with a dream of being a pianist that who would teach at the college level. Oh. And I knew from the first semester of college that I that was kind of what I wanted to do too, is to, if I were going to teach, I'd love to teach at the university level. So I just had all sorts of irons in the fire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, so anyway, I finished my degree in piano performance. I took their advice. I went to Indiana University for my master's degree in piano performance. Then I went to Cincinnati Conservatory for my DMA in piano performance. Oh, my but, God. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was intense. And uh, along the way, I kept thinking about being a teacher. And, uh, but, you know, I was just on this trajectory. And, okay, I'll be teaching at the college level. Here we go. Uh, trying to think next step oh yeah so at the end of my first year uh at cincinnati i developed severe tendonitis in my hands just oh, due to no. over practice and cold practice rooms and i was yeah. playing some pretty big repertoire that was just really challenging so i couldn't finish my recitals but i spent another year and a half there um finishing my coursework then I decided to come back to Texas to get certified, and I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to get certified to teach public schools, and I'm going to be a choir director. Woohoo! Let's do this. <laughs> like, you know, competition, yay, let's, let's do the whole thing. Well, then I did my student teaching. Well, okay, so, so that was another year and a half of school to do post-baccalaureate certification. Wow. Uh, and went into student teaching still with this idea of being a choir director. When I actually did my student teaching, I was shocked at how much I really fell in love with teaching elementary. I never thought that would happen. <laughs> um, but I got really excited, not only because kids at that age usually love to learn and they're so excited by music, but also because I got a real charge out of providing a firm foundation of good habits rather than um, trying to correct bad habits that were instilled at a, you know, at a later age. So I'm, I'm still a firm believer to this day that if we can, well, first of all, that kids are wonderful sponges and uh, eager to learn, and we can take advantage of that opportunity to give them the tools that they need to succeed. Uh, so my goal is that every kid can explore music to their fullest potential as they grow. Uh, oh, and so... Anyway, then along the way, as I, as I began teaching in San Antonio, I was also doing some piano stuff because my arms had gotten better. Oh, I was yay. doing a lot of like side gigs. And some friends of mine said, you know, you really should finish that, that doctoral degree. You could finish your recitals now. So I did, part-time. I was going back to Cincinnati oh in the God. summers at times and like on breaks. And so in 1997, I finished my DMA in piano. And, uh, but I was loving teaching and I kept thinking the whole time, gee, I should have done this my whole life. I really think I have a lot more 
potential there, you know, there again in education than I did as a pianist. I was a good pianist, but I would never have been as competitive, let's say, as the piano professors at UNT are now. I just didn't have that level of talent. And quite honestly, I wish somebody had told me that beforehand. But, you know, anyway, so I get the DNA, and uh, then just not many months after that, I was diagnosed with arthritis in my fingers. Oh. Now, whereas tendonitis can be cured eventually, you know, um, through rest and treatment, arthritis really never can. And so then I realized, okay, that, that dream has died. Um, oh. And at the time, I was, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, it was devastating. It was That's really so difficult. Sad. And my partner, who's no longer living, but at the time he said, you know, you're such a good teacher. Why don't you get a PhD in music education? Just casually. I, <laughs> just casually. Yeah, I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. No. You know? Another one? <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, that first doctorate was hard enough to get. But um, two years later, I called the folks at UT Austin and told them about my background. And they invited me in and gave me an assistantship. And... Four years later, <laughs> I got that degree, and I was just so fortunate that at the time I was looking for jobs, the woman who had been in my position since, I think, 1968 suddenly decided to retire. And I took the position, and it's just been wonderful. I'm so glad you're here. Your story yeah. is so wild. I, yeah. <laughs> you talk about it in brief. I, I've Listeners, I've been in Don Taylor's class for the past semester. It just ended last week. And um, he talks about his background in brief uh, just so that, you know, you kind of know where he's coming from. Your story is so much more wild than I thought it was. <laughs> I didn't know you got two extra degrees on top of the Ph.D., which is already hard to get. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. It was a circuitous journey, that's for sure. Oh, <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so out of curiosity, when you were student teaching um, and you fell in love with teaching elementary schoolers, was there any specific formative experience or was it like a, you know, the whole entire time of just slowly realizing this is, I really like this. This is a delightful experience. <laughs> I think it was more uh, slowly, it slowly emerged, you know, um, Quite honestly, when I was, I started out by doing eight weeks at the high school level with a really top level choir teacher there. But they were preparing for um, a concert and sight reading UIL, right? Yeah. And it was kind of a beat down to me. I mean, it was just, uh, it, it, I got bored. I, I honestly got kind of bored. Um, and then when I got to the elementary level, you know, every grade level is just so different and you can be so creative with so many different things. And that was a big surprise to me. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. That's incredible. Oh, I just yeah. love hearing about your journey. It's wild. <laughs> well, <laughs> so thank you. you'd never considered elementary ed before that? No, or? no. Wow. <laughs> I, I tell my students, I mean, quite honestly, I, I love working with kids in a classroom setting, in a music setting, but I've never been one of those folks that said, hey, let's take the nephews and nieces to the zoo, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I, I joke that, you know, body fluids and loud noises make me nervous. <laughs> but I, I have a good connection with kids, and... Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I'm joking around, but yeah, I, I just found a, a new passion in life I never knew I had. 
So that's one thing I always want my students to know and, and when, they take my, when they take my elementary methods classes is that you may discover something you never knew existed. And no pressure to diverge from your original goals, but you know, this is what happened to me, so if you need support, I'm here for you. I love that wow. you're providing that. I'm one of the people that decided that I liked the idea of teaching elementary schoolers so much that I wanted to do it. And uh, <laughs> here at UNT, uh, uh, Don Taylor knows this, but um, listeners probably may not. Um, the UNT degree plans, if you're an instrumental music ed major, uh, if you are just band track or orchestra track, you're going to go teach uh, for student teaching. The semester will just be at uh, high schools and middle schools. Whereas if you get instrumental elementary track, if you petition to change to a slightly different degree track, which uh, Shauna discussed at length in the last podcast episode, plug in that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that uh, allows you to go teach, you student teach in elementary schools as well as teaching at the secondary level. Uh, it's interesting to me, do other schools usually just have, like, every ed major, music ed major would go and teach at both of those kinds of experiences? It really varies. It just, yeah. it depends. I, and I can't speak for all Texas schools, but I know that there are some Texas schools that follow our model as well. And I think in large part it's because Texas is so specialized, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, There's whereas <laughs> not it, as many know, places you can be a percussionist just full time yeah. as a percussion <laughs> teacher. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. If you go to many other states, you might very well be teaching at the elementary level. So um, and, and the secondary level and middle school. And yeah, one of my best friends who's an incredible educator, his first job was teaching elementary, middle school, band and choir. I mean, and I don't know how he did it all. That's a lot, especially if you come from a place like Texas where it's like, all right, all I ever have to worry about is just teaching band and getting those UIL scores. There's people <laughs> whose whole job is just teaching marching band, and they love it. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. But exactly. if you're somewhere else, you got to focus on other things too, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> It's just not as, it's not as specialized. Right, exactly. And so, you know, in Texas is wonderful. I feel so lucky to be at UNT because we have such a rich area of music education here in the DFW uh, Metroplex. You know, no amazing <laughs> teachers to work with and just great kids. And, yeah, it's just, it's it's a dream. Is it not? I just love it. <laughs> but, again, I am a big nerd about this topic. Um, out of curiosity, this was one of the questions that we wrote about. Um, there's a lot of people like myself who would decide to go to your uh, instrumental elementary track after your music ed class. And, um I know that you were saying that you kind of teach it with the intent of, you know, I'm not going to pressure you to do anything, but here's this world you might have not considered. Is it by design? Like, is the course by design supposed to give you like a, here's a taste. You want to come join us? <laughs> <laughs> no, not necessarily. I mean, the classes, it's really just uh, designed as part of our National Association of Schools of Music requirements um, yeah. to provide students with the tools that they need to be successful teachers, you know, and of course you need to understand all developmental levels. It, you know, even if you're teaching high school, you need to have an understanding of where your middle schoolers are coming from as well as what their elementary experience might have been. I think Absolutely. one of the big things for me that I would like to see happen more in our profession, I'd like to see more high school teachers build on the experiences of middle school and elementary. And well, in fact, let me rephrase that. 
especially middle school to elementary. Because many times, you know, kids will come into middle school and the teachers just kind of start them from scratch as if they know nothing. Now, that's not the case for all teachers, but, you know, when you think of all the creative, improvisatory things that we explore with uh, the ORF process, that could be used in middle schools as well as kids are developing some technical skill on their instrument. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping I can inspire people at all levels to incorporate that. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so um, you'll have to forgive me. I, I'm not, we're not super well acquainted yet, so I'm not very uh, knowledgeable about um, a lot of your research. So could you tell us a little bit more about, um, I guess, like your, your area or like your, your main, like, oh, this is what I'm really interested in. Ooh. Sure, sure. Uh, well, it's, <laughs> it's kind of funny. There again, it was really uh, uh, an unexpected route. Uh, I will say, when I started my PhD and I thought of research, I thought it was going to be uh, writing books based on creative lesson planning ideas I had. Because one of the things I loved doing uh, when I taught elementary music was just expanding kids' knowledge base. I mean, like some of the things that I did, uh, along with my cohort, Michelle Schultze, who helped me so much. She was so great with kids. Uh, anyway, we started out with basic, like, Kodai principles, you know, and using uh, the syllables oftentimes used in that, you know, like ta-ta, ti-ti-ta, et cetera, et cetera. And then I began reflecting on my own experience as a kid and how difficult it was for me to understand that the bottom number changes the beat. Like people would say it, but I never understood it, right? So uh, <laughs> yeah. we began a process of teaching kids from second grade on uh, that that bottom number meant something. And, and so long story short, we taught in multimeters. They were reading in 5-8, We started out by just showing them what the notes were, having them color in different colors, you know, using kid kind of friendly things, and uh, then having them write their own, well, we would write some patterns uh, just using what we called undivided beats, and then we would show them how to divide the beats, um, and then subdivide the beats. And, and so anyway, I had ideas of, writing curriculum like that. Well, I got to my PhD and I realized that's not really what music ed research is. Uh, writing books like that is a wonderful pedagogical uh, expression, but research is where you're really asking questions. Uh, you know, like, how do you get kids to play in tune better? Um, what do expert teachers do uh, to uh, engage your kids in in improvisation and creativity and composition, you know, those sorts of things. So that was a new learning process. And of course, well, at UT at the time, and this is true really, I think, most places, qualitative research in our field was just coming to the front. Uh, so most of my, most of my um, research education back then was quantitative. So I was taking some stats classes and just delving into that. Uh, <laughs> what was interesting is that the entire time I had some wonderful mentors, Judith Jellison and Bob Duke and John <gasps> Geringer and uh, just great people. But I kept thinking, 
you know, I'm, I'm talking about the logistics of music making, and that's important, but I'm much more interested in why Johnny wants to play B-flat versus how he plays B-flat. Why does he want to play B-flat in the first place, and, and, you know, what is the motivation and what keeps him going, or her, or they, these days, right? Uh, <laughs> um, sure. So, uh, I, my dissertation focused on the teaching practices of recognized ORF teachers to see what they did. Uh, and I was really very proud of that study, um, took a lot of work. And then when I began my career at UNT, I was doing a couple of studies uh, looking at rhythm and how kids navigated uh, rhythmic concepts. But it still just wasn't my passion. People always talk about finding your passion in research. And then um, I believe it was about 2009, uh, they had the first conference on LGBTQ issues in music education at the University of Illinois. And uh, I came out as gay when I was 23, about 23, and uh, navigating that experience as a gay man being an educator in what was largely a conservative school system uh, was really tricky. Uh, and through the years, I've just been fascinated with the social changes that have occurred. <clears throat> so for that conference, I decided to do a paper, a qualitative paper, looking at the experiences of gay band directors in various generations. So I interviewed people who were um, retired, folks who were sort of at the end of their career, mid-career, and then beginning teachers, uh, and had some focus groups with those individuals as well. And uh, that conference was really kind of life-changing for me because I was really investigating something that spoke to my own personal experience. And uh, reading the research, I found that my experience was not unusual and that I was trying to figure out how do you navigate this, you know, when you're in public schools. Uh, if you've been out of the closet, are you supposed to suddenly go into the closet again? And, and what does that say about your sense of personal integrity? Um, you know, so uh, from that moment on, well, I do have to say in the beginning, I did the paper, it was well received, it was published, uh, but it was still kind of a controversial thing. You know, like, will people continue to want to publish this kind of research? Oh, yeah. um, is this too controversial for me to be pursuing? Um, and I had some very kind, well-meaning people suggest that, you know, this is, you're taking a risk here. But um, I just kept coming back to that topic. And finally I said, yeah, this is, this is where I'm going with it. Uh, so it, it's been really rewarding. I'm so glad you did. I suspect that because of the works of, people who are interested in social change in the way that your works are, now that feels silly that people might say that, you know, to you. <laughs> but I, I, only glad. because it's established now. <laughs> right. Only because someone like you took up the torch. <laughs> so. I really appreciate that. Yeah, you know what just <laughs> blows me away? I'm I, Right now I'm uh, analyzing data <clears throat> Uh, examining the experiences of gay music teachers who are completely out to their students as well as their colleagues. 
I mean, it represents a new level of disclosure. And um, so I interviewed people on the West Coast, the Deep South, if you can imagine, <laughs> as well as the Midwest and then uh, our own state, Texas. Uh, and the thing that just blows me away over and over is that people are saying, well, kids I interviewed basically said, you know, when my teacher came out and, and shared his story, and these were all men, because I come from the male perspective, and I recognize the female perspective is sometimes different, so I don't want to speak for females. But um, anyway, the kids said, when, when my teacher shared his story, I felt like it was okay to be me, whoever me was, whatever their experience was. And I thought that was extremely powerful. Um, and then administrators and other teachers that I interviewed said, yeah, I'm really glad we have this person on faculty because we have kids you know, who identify as LGBTQ and now they have a role model, somebody they can look up to who's succeeding and doing well. And uh, I have to tell you folks, that is a far cry from when <laughs> I began teaching. <laughs> oh, and I have a story about that Ooh, actually, yes. if you'd like to oh, hear yes, the please. difference. Okay, wow. So when I started teaching back in 1991, um, I, yeah, so I had I had a partner, and um, I took him to faculty events, and everybody at our school, you know, knew our situation. In fact, our principal was lesbian. We had a lesbian um, uh, PE coach, and then we also had uh, a gay second grade teacher. So uh, the idea of, of gay folks in our school was not all that unusual. But I tried to be really careful about coming out to kids directly, even though I had rainbow stickers on my car. I mean, it was pretty much everything about me just kind of screamed, yeah, this is a gay guy. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I never said it explicitly, right? Well, back in the 90s, I also got very involved with um, uh, politics uh, for LGBTQ rights specifically. Sure. And it may seem... It may or may not be surprising, but back in the early 90s, people began talking about marriage equality, and there was discussion about that in Hawaii first uh, legislation. So in 1995, uh, my partner and I decided that we were going to have a wedding. Um, whether or not it was legal, you know, we thought we're not going to wait for the world to catch up we're going to celebrate our relationship with our family and friends and uh yeah it was it was awesome i mean it was it was really wonderful very meaningful for i think for everybody involved and uh because bruce and i were both politically involved somebody said you know what you might think about having the the newspaper cover this we know somebody in the newspaper who might be interested in doing that so i went to my lesbian principal and i told her what I was thinking about doing, and she said, well, you know, I'm not an activist like you are, but, you know, you do what you need to, and, and I support you, and that's fine, wow. okay? But the next day I came to class, and, uh, and I should say, too, like all principals should be, she was very adamant about teachers being fully engaged with their students and, you know, not taking time off. They didn't need to take off. Well, she came into my class the next day, pulled me out of class, took me to central office. We drove over to central office together. We went into, I think it was the head of personnel or something. Anyway, one of the major administrative figures. And my gaydar kind of went <laughs> off. I'm like, 
you're one of us, you know, <laughs> but I mean, I wasn't sure, but you know, just kind of got that feeling. Basically, I was told, uh, if you do this, if you, you know, we can't tell you not to, but if you do, you will be placed on administrative leave. Whoa. <gasps> what? Why? Because it was, quote, and this is the thing that kills me back then, and you'll still hear some people in my generation, I'm 59, I'll be turning 60 next year, you'll still hear people use words like, or, or ask questions like, is it appropriate? Well, mm. yeah, I mean, <laughs> it should be as appropriate for gay people as anybody else to talk about their relationships because it's it's about identity not about sex right, right? yeah um so anyway uh i made the decision not to not to even approach the paper about it and then um i had been teaching at that school for for several years and i decided i'd like to try a different kind of population and, and see what that would be like i interviewed at several schools and by that point I'm trying to think. Well, well, yeah, certainly by that point, I had done doctoral coursework at Cincinnati Conservatory. I had perfect evaluations for my administrators. I had all sorts yeah. of great accolades, you know, uh, in written form that I could show. I even had pictures of, um, of the shows that I did, PTA shows. Aww. Principals Aww. were, they loved me, but then, and they'd say, well, we'll get in touch with you. And then I never wow. got a single job. They would hire somebody with absolutely no experience really? instead ah. of me. Well, they're missing out. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but either way, that's terrible. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was so naive because I had grown up in music schools and my own faculty at my elementary school was really supportive, right? But um, uh, I just failed to realize that the world was not necessarily there, that people sometimes smile to you at your face, but then behind your back maybe you're not so supportive. Uh, yeah. Anyway, after a while, I was talking to the uh, fine arts supervisor, and she said, and she's retired now, uh, she said, I'll deny it if you say it, but the reality is principals have told me they absolutely love you, but they are terrified to hire you because of your of your identity and I guess they were afraid I would be political even though like I said we didn't go to the paper so um, all that to say uh, to go from that to administrators telling me I'm so glad we have a gay educator who's out to our community wow you know that is a huge change now, having said that, you may be aware that there was a teacher in Mansfield, I believe an art teacher, who was placed on administrative leave when um, she displayed a picture of her fiancé, um, female fiancé, in a PowerPoint presentation at the beginning of the year. <sighs> and I don't yeah. know if you guys heard about that or and not. It, it was because of that, I assume, not like anything else. Oh, yeah, yeah. Again, <laughs> it was, you know, like, this That's is crazy. inappropriate and blah, blah, blah. And... Uh, <gasps> They I live like <laughs> ten minutes from Mansfield. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I can't they, believe that's ha and that happened like, recently. Uh, yeah, I, I a year, mm -hmm. two years ago, something like that. And she. Why is that acceptable? Well, Why? that's kind of what came up. Well, that's a good question. Why is it acceptable? Because there are no laws protecting um, the LGBTQ community for work unless there's a district policy or a city policy protecting you. 
So I, you know, I'm very fortunate at UNT, not only do we have a, an institutional policy that protects, uh, protects people on the basis of um, their identity, but uh, I'm also just, just um, socially supported by my colleagues and our dean. It's really wonderful. It's incredible to me that I am celebrated now for doing this kind of work rather than being told it's, quote, inappropriate, you know? And you know, the, the thing that gets me about it is that the only problem that it was caused by people, people's reactions to this were their reactions. You didn't actually do anything wrong. <laughs> I, right, <laughs> you, right. Like, it was only a risky choice for you to do those things because they made it that way. You didn't yeah. do anything risky, quote unquote. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, I think what, what makes me so happy today is it's a safer environment. I, you ha now, I will say, for anybody who's an LGBTQ pre-service teacher thinking about how am I going to negotiate this, you do need to have an awareness of your district policies. You do need to have an awareness of the social climate at your school. You know, it, because there are no uh, federal protections, you do need to be mindful of the risks that you might be taking. Um, but at the same time, I do believe our, our world is changing. And what I love about that is that kids who, who identify as LGBTQ now have a role model. Uh, and not only for those LGBTQ, LGBTQ kids, but also for anybody, anybody else. Um, you know, just kind of recognizing this is, this is the diversity in our world and, uh, you know, recognizing the unique strengths that each person mm -hmm. has. Absolutely. I mean, just in the same way that we would like to achieve cultural and racial diversity in uh, music education, I feel like it, people need to see different representations uh, <laughs> rather than just like dominant culture ah. privilege refer representation. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and, and our, well, as you know, Hannah, in our elementary class, um, we talked about the importance of representation and how so oftentimes uh, kids of color, for instance, are really left out of the music picture. And uh, so, you know, what we're looking at ways that we can engage all kids and give them those opportunities. I'm just a firm believer in that. Absolutely. You know, some people, I guess, people would say that school isn't a place for you to you know, talk about that kind of thing. And I don't know, I, I just feel like it's the opposite because school is the first place where everyone goes, uh, like in this country, you know? Right, <laughs> Everyone's right. gonna be there, <laughs> right. and, and especially I early on. Yeah, and I think the important thing is that, I mean, I don't think teachers really, sh I, I would never recommend them that somebody well, say, yeah. you know, <laughs> hey, I have this thing to tell you and it's this big deal, I think you just, <laughs> need to normalize yeah. your life you know and yeah. just like anybody else might mention their their husband or wife if if you have a husband or wife then you know don't refrain from that um again you have to be aware of your environment still if you're on the lgbtq within that umbrella but uh yeah it's, it's been fascinating research for me uh in fact i i have a, a study out right now Again, personally related, I would say that I have what I call gay voice. <laughs> and uh, I've really been interested in what effects that might have on 
on students' perception of teaching effectiveness? Like, does that seem to alter how they view their teachers? And I did a national study. Um, well, I did a national study first with, uh, with in-service teachers to see what they thought. And I found that actually, yeah, it does make a difference really? on some really? level. First, yeah, for some people. Uh, the results that we got with my co-author, Jay Ratt, who's a PhD student in statistics, he did some wonderful work with me. Um, we found that, and these were two, okay, in this study, uh, people heard uh, a stereotypically gay speaker and a stereotypically straight speaker reading the same passage of literature. And then the listeners had to answer questions about, you know, how patient do you think this person would be? How musically adept do you think they would be? How, you know, what kind of leader do you think they'd be? What's the likelihood they'd be a good leader? So we found that the person with the gay voice was deemed to be uh, less likely to be a leader than the straight person, uh, less likely to have good classroom management. But this one kind of blew me away deemed more likely to, to um, have high musical standards. Wow. That, that really surprised me. Uh, whereas, and, and, although I guess that kind of goes with the, the gay stereotype of, uh, let's see, high musical standards. Okay, the artist. Um, and, oh, and then they were also, uh, they were also deemed to be more organized. So you can kind of see it like, oh, yeah, the, the fussy, artistic, organized <laughs> type uh, who may have a problem with classroom management. But, hmm. you know, and there again, that's a stereotype. That's what we were looking at. So um, the reality is the teachers that I've examined, uh, yeah, classroom management is not a problem, even if they have a gay-sounding voice. I think the main, the main thing that people need to do is just own who they are and, and not shy away from it. Just, you know, focus on the kids rather than yourself, really. I feel like a lack of confidence would be a much greater issue in classroom <laughs> management than the sound of your voice. I'm just funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Do you think that perception is going to change over time? I hope so. I, I think so. Um, and, you know, I think part of that one thing that concerns me about that stereotype is people going out to get jobs. You know, when you don't have a lot of experience behind you, if there's something about your voice that might put somebody off, even on an unconscious level, it might make it a little bit more difficult to get that job. So, but in those cases, for, for either extreme, like if you have a, I guess I would call it a stereotypical straight bro voice <laughs> or a stereotypically, um, uh, you know, gay voice, whatever people might consider that to be, uh, there are things you can do to highlight strengths if you feel that people might be discriminating against you, right? So if you go in and you're worried about that somebody might think I don't have good classroom management, well, then talk about your classroom management strategies, you know, mm -hmm. and how you succeeded in that during your, um, uh, during your student teaching experience, uh, you know, and highlight your strengths. Good advice. <laughs> just in general. Yeah, just yeah. exactly, just in general. Oh my God, it's almost been an hour. <laughs> oh, has yeah. it really? Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I'm so interested. There's still more, there's so much more we can ask you. Um, uh, actually, um, more pertaining onto your research, um, 
this most recent team EA that has just passed, you were part mm-hmm. of the College Division Research Exhibition, I think. I don't know exactly oh, what yeah. they call it. The research um, posters. Yeah, the research posters. And you <laughs> had one. Uh, would you like to talk a little bit about that, like the process behind it and sure. what your research specifically was about? Oh, sure. Well, actually, for that for that particular um, poster session, I, I had a poster about that study I was just telling you about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the wonderful thing about poster sessions is that if you're at Team Yay, you can walk around and look at people's posters and just see what's cutting edge research, things that haven't even been published yet, right? It gives ah. you an idea of the kinds of questions people are asking. Um, so if you really want to be on top of your game, I think especially for pre-service teachers, I think it'd be pretty impressive to go into a into an interview and say, you know, I saw a I saw a, a a research poster about ways to engage students uh, in better practice techniques, and I found this really interesting. This is how I want to use this information in my own teaching. By Ooh. utilizing research in a practical way, it shows principles that you value the scholarly community and that you want to continue to learn, right? That's, that's a game changer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Knowing my nerd self, I probably would just say that, like, off the cuff. I, man, I just <laughs> saw this research poster the other day, and I've been thinking about it nonstop, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, it, for some people it's it's really motivating. Um, and I'll be honest, research is not always the easiest thing to read, but yeah. a lot of yeah. times in uh. research articles you can skip all the jargon and just go to the discussion section where they put things in plain <laughs> language, right? Yes. It's kind of like, give me the bottom line, give me the bottom line. And some of our top research journals that I'd recommend that anybody look at, especially for, young, for younger folks, would be Update. It's called Update Applications um, Applications of Research in Music Education, Bulletin of the Council for Research in Music Education, um, and there are a number of others, Music Education Research. There's, there are just so many people out there asking the questions so that we're no longer going by people's opinions, but we're really testing this data out. You know, what really works for the majority of people and what are people's lived experiences? What is it like to be an African-American female band director? What is it like to be um, disabled uh, in a high school choir setting? You know, all those sorts of things. Absolutely. Oh, listeners, uh, if you attend UNT, you are already paying for these journals. You have a subscription to them oh, yeah. right now. <laughs> if you're really interested <laughs> in it, uh, go to UNT Libraries. Yeah, libraries.unt.edu i think um i'll look i'll check but um you can type in the search bar whatever you want to search it's just like it's your up to your imagination whatever your heart wants to learn you're probably already paying for a journal about it <laughs> <laughs> it's free uh, quote unquote free you're already paying for it <laughs> that's please a really go good, look that's a <laughs> really good interested. point yeah. Yeah, and, and there again, update applications of research in music education. It, it, it's meant to be written in a style that is not so jargony that mm. can really get to the heart of what you need. Oh, thank God. I, yeah. <laughs> Some of them are really heavy. I've been doing a lot of research about uh, music education this semester, um, personal note. But 
man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it took me a long time. Hayden would come up to me, and I would be buried in this 20-page paper, like, all right, I've got to finish the Bradley 2007. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <Good> for you. <laughs> yeah, it takes it takes a while. It's but it's worth the process for sure. Oh, yeah. I would really encourage everybody. Here here's my final word of advice if we have time for this. Oh, sure. oh yeah. Just never stop learning. I mean, whether it be research, whether it be, you know, seek out mentors, seek out peer mentors. Um, the day that I stop learning is the day that I need to put it up. You know, when you think you know it all, it's over. That's but if you keep growing, you, if you keep growing, then you'll just, you'll always be ready for the next chapter. Aw. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only 5'2". <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what that means? What? You know, in terms of keeping learning. I think that means it's time to learn about Don Taylor's oh, favorite food I things see. in the uh, rapid fire questions. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, we have this uh, this segment that we call rapid fire questions. They're not really rapid fire questions. They're just kind of questions that go one after the other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat rap more rapidly than the ones from the main part of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So do I go first? Do you go first? Uh, you go first. Okay. Favorite color? Uh, red. Boom. That's fair. Creamy or crunchy peanut butter? Uh, creamy. Favorite Skittle flavor? Oh, mm, gosh. I, I just always <laughs> eat them all like in one shot. Like, no! When, <laughs> oh, my God. No. That's too much. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why I can't eat them so much because I end up getting, like, sores in my mouth. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. So, <laughs> that's intense. <laughs> we had this conversation with, with Shauna last week, and she – uh, like I, I, I've never really put much thought into it, but apparently there's like different like mixes of Skittles. So like there's a tropical mix, there's a like berry mix, and like I, I'm accustomed to just like the original, and like I would have just been like, uh, red. But apparently, <laughs> right, right. There's like everyone has to think. About yeah, this there's one. like <laughs> different kinds of red, and they, they like. Uh, oh what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like there's different like colors of red different in each. Flavors yeah, of red. yeah. So. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. How funny. Uh, important question. Favorite M&M color? Oh, blue. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you have one. Well, everyone does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, favorite instrument that's not your instrument? Well, uh, fl- Oh, gosh. It's not my instrument. Flute is kind not of your my instrument. instrument. <laughs> um, I played flute secondarily. Uh, cello. Ooh. Ooh, good one. Yeah. If you had to name your kid a music term, what would their name be? <laughs> oh, gosh. Allegro. Oh, that's a good that's one. That's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. What's your Pokemon type? Oh, I don't even know. Folks, I'm a boomer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so me and Hannah will, will give you what, do you. what do you think, Hannah? Um, oh, gosh. Oh man, I okay. So we, for background, we put this question in, and we were like, I don't know if Don Taylor's ever played Pokemon. <laughs> I don't know if he knows this. So we might have to help him think about it. And then I thought, I'll figure it out later. <laughs> and I still can't. I, can't I don't know. Yeah, it. maybe um, uh, Earth type. Like a ground. Yeah. Type? I don't know. Hmm. I think a flying type. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, that's it. Flying that's type. it. I'm yeah. about it. All okay. Right. 
as my <laughs> <laughs> if you had to get a non-music job, what would you want to do? Oh, I, I know that one, counselor. Oh, oh, oh that's yeah, good. Perfect. Usually everyone doesn't know. <laughs> that's the one no one's been able to answer yeah. yet. Oh, really? Well, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's I actually, that's something I didn't talk about. I seriously thought about going into counseling. It was either going to oh. be counseling or, in fact, I had gotten accepted to a master's program. <laughs> it was either going wow. to be counseling or get, getting certified to teach public schools. Wow. Wow. Uh, so either way, you would probably be in public school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I probably would have been, um, at the time, since I didn't think I wanted to work with little kids, I probably would have worked with adults in some capacity. But oh. I'm really glad I ended up doing what I did because yeah, <laughs> so many great experiences and oh my gosh folks working working with the students at UNT and I don't just say that you know because we're on this podcast I feel so fortunate you folks inspire me it's really wonderful. oh my heart <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be the same person if I hadn't taken your class oh I'm thank saying. you <laughs> I'm jealous okay uh <laughs> ideal union lunch Oh, gosh. I love Avesta. Avesta. Oh, oh, please tell us about Avesta. Please. Because, like, I've been, oh, I've seen it, like, way over there and, like, hmm, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. Please tell us about it. Oh, you absolutely should. Gosh, they have a wonderful buffet um, of just great foods. You can have something as simple as a salad or soup or, you know, they have, oh, prime rib <laughs> and, and um uh, sometimes I'll have, you know, whatever, fajitas, salmon. Uh, it's just all delicious, and it's reasonably mm -hmm. priced. Um, you'll see a lot of faculty members go in there, but there are students as well. It's open to everybody, so I strongly encourage really? it. Yeah. Wow. Sure. We're, Hayden, let's go whenever we have In 10 years, and, yeah. We can actually sit down, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, favorite place in the College of Music? Oh, God. Favorite place in the College of Music? Um, mm, that's a hard one. Okay, I'm gonna. Here, let me just throw out several. I know it sounds goofy. I love my office. I have a wonderful uh, window view with Aww. a beautiful tree outside. Uh, I love our recital hall, which is being renovated. Yay. Actually, it's very oh, exciting. Yes. Everything that's happening. Uh, Bortman Hall is wonderful. The Murkison. Oh, we have so many just beautiful facilities. It's, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, <laughs> very important. Favorite Dippin' Dots flavor? Oh, gosh. I, I don't eat those. <laughs> I, I kind of figured that would be the answer. Yeah. I can throw something also. I can, you know, favorite candy would probably have to be Snickers. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm all about the chocolate. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, me too. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, I just got my mom for her birthday some like alcoholic liquor something 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 chocolate. And I'm <laughs> oh god, they were like really expensive. It's like super fancy and they look so good, but I'm just like oh oh please. But it's for her birthday, so <laughs> and also oh, I'm 19. That's, so that's very sweet of you. I love it. You know, it's so funny. I uh, speaking of alcohol, I don't drink just because I never developed a taste for it, but. I mean, I'm kind of a chocoholic. It just goes nuts. So yeah. Yep. Yep. How <laughs> yeah. funny! Oh, okay. This is another one you might not be able to answer uh. well. Um, practice north or practice south, and why? Oh, I yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> They're exactly the same, and one is mirrored of the other. 
Oh. No, no, one is clearly better. All right, whatever. Northy. <laughs> I go to both of them. <laughs> Maybe I'm bad. I'm like a traitor. Okay. I, I go to, yeah, okay. Uh, Waffle House or IHOP? Oh, IHOP. Yeah. What? Dang it. Oh, no, no. <laughs> How do you okay. have your eggs? Uh, Scrambled. Yeah. That's Ooh, fair. Yeah. Scrambled the hard. The soft usually. center is weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't like them to like get every. I like my food to be in like one place. Okay. I don't want it to like <laughs> go everywhere and like mix with. Ugh, no. Having said that, every almost every morning though, I've been taking an egg, uh, using Pam cooking spray, basically making a fried egg, and then making my own mm. little egg McMuffin. Aww. That's yeah. so cute. That's I nice. love that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. I tell you, this whole pandemic thing has, oh, I've been cooking so much. I've lost some oh, weight, yeah. though. <laughs> oh, very nice. Yeah. Not me. Uh. Yeah, I've been eating not well. I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm home. I should be eating well, but my mom and I like to make sweets. So. Yeah. Oh, my God. All we have in the food is, like, junk. Ha- wait, wait. All we have in the house is junk food. <laughs> junk food. So- <laughs> I totally understand. I mean, now having said that, I have had my moments where I ate an entire cake in two days. Ooh. That's fair. That's valid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Me too. Sometimes you just have to, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, speaking of junk food. Yes. Uh, do you have a favorite Hot Pocket flavor? A favorite what? Hot Pocket flavor. Like. Oh, uh, oh. Um, <laughs> I, there again, I don't think I really eat Hot Pockets. Yeah. He's Sorry. cultured. <laughs> no, <I can't. laughs> We're like, what's the worst food we can think of? Mm, hot pockets. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's okay. I can tell you when I was in school. Do y'all ever eat toaster strudel? Oh, yes. yeah. Right? Okay. So I had started gaining weight. This was when I was in Cincinnati. I'd started gaining weight, and I went to a doctor about something else, and I mentioned something about it. And she said, well, you know, what are you eating? And I said, well, I have a toaster strudel every morning. And then I, and she said, uh, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) But it was delicious. What can I say? (laughs) They're more like a dessert to me. Yeah. Honestly, like pop tarts, pop tarts. I never get like strawberry or like blueberry. No, it's, they have like, chocolate chip cookie dough ones and oh like, yeah yeah and they're oh, delicious the way god and jesus intended it absolutely <laughs> yes right pop-tarts aren't supposed to be healthy yeah that's not the point i like the it's like the chocolate cream or, oh, or yeah. the cream center oh the s'more with, ones yeah oh all of that now having yeah. said that i i just don't allow myself to eat those because i i will eat the whole box <laughs> yeah. i really yes. will that's neat. Only with the wild berry ones. The wild berry, Ooh, the purple one with yeah. the blue frosting and the red inside. Oh, there's no way it's based off of anything in reality, and it's delicious. <laughs> no, I'm like a a uh, what are they? A grazer, I think that's what they call it. Where you like pick, um, and then you go away and you come back and you pick, um, and then you just do that like all day. That's my vice. I um yeah. Anyway, so oh, more food. Of vices. Yeah. Ooh, subhub order. Oh gosh, um, subhub order. Oh, it's been so there again. It's been so long since I've been to the subhub, but I always like club club sandwiches. Oh yeah, club. Mm. That's fair. That's yeah. a good answer. Classic. Yeah, for me, it's like oh, uh, what's the other one? Um, well, anyway, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, we have one last question for you. It's really important. Okay. Um, how was your day? 
<laughs> it was it was great. It really was. And and talking to you all has just been really wonderful. So Aww. Um, I'm so yeah. Glad. I've kind of finished my work for the day. Well, no I haven't, but <laughs> I finished some of the big projects I wanted to do and um I'm going to go to Kroger good. and get a pickup order. That's what I've been doing rather than going into the grocery stores. That's good. Stay yeah. safe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and everyone's acting like it's normal now. All these stores are just like, all right, come on in. <laughs> Who needs a mask? Yeah. I'm <laughs> you really, need a mask. <laughs> I'm really big on, on being careful. And I think, again, that's part of the generation I grew up in. Uh, well, again, kind of tying to my, well, just my age. I grew up during the AIDS crisis, and there's so many parallels to all of this. Not to not to be a downer, but um, uh, yeah. So you know, people kind of in denial that no, this isn't real, and and like oh, it can be. It can be really bad. So yeah, better safe than sorry. <laughs> oh, y'all should ask me another question. I shouldn't have gone there. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Uh. Uh. I don't know. I think it went pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> well, good, good. I'm glad. I'm okay. Glad. Well, that is about all we have time for. Uh, again, thank you very, very much for uh, coming on today. It was a real pleasure. It was really, really great. Absolutely. Um, uh, anyway, that's about ha uh, time. So we'll wrap this up. Again, thank you for coming on. Uh, we will see you guys next week with Ian Calhoun uh, oh, when yes. we have him on. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be awesome. Okay. Well, anyway, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for listening to the UNT College of Music in Context podcast. What'd you think? Our parents have allowed us to have some more social media accounts. So in addition to following our Twitter at UNT Comic Podcast, go ahead and like and follow our Facebook page, which is also at UNT Comic Podcast. Surprise, they're the same. <laughs> so you can check either of those to see announcements, new episodes weekly, and a place for you to ask your very own questions to our guest each week in a segment called, drumroll please, cleverly titled viewer question segment. Woo, yeah. A week before we interview our guests, you can check our socials for a post which you can reply to with all of your burning questions. I know you have them. I did. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for watching. This is me, Hayden Drew. And Hannah! <laughs> Signing off. We'll catch you guys next week. Love y'all. Bye!